Happy anniversary, Grace United Family Church. Nine years? Amazing, isn't it? Praise God for the good things He has done. And even for the things that we don't think are good. Even as Brother John had said, you know, all things work together for good to those who are, who are called by His grace, by His mercy. And why? Why do they work together? So that we may become like Jesus. So with that said, let's go to Him. And let's ask his blessings on this portion of our service. Lord, we sang to you with the voices that you've given us, the instruments that you've given us about your faithfulness, about your grace. We praise you for your faithfulness. Lord, we're reminded that the one, that the, the lyrics of the song came from Lamentations. As Jeremiah was watching Jerusalem burn to the ground because of their sin, Lord, he was able to declare your faithfulness. And Lord, I pray that as you help us, as we remember some of the things that have happened at Grace United over the last nine or so years, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to give you praise and glory and honor because you alone deserve it, even in the midst of the things that we think might not be so good. And, and also to rejoice in the things that you have done that we do think are good, knowing, Lord, that you cause all things work together because you love us so that we can become like you. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, nine years ago, Grace United began in affliction. We were dissolved from a previous church, and we grieved our loss for a little while. And then we scrambled to do a lot of grunt work to establish a new church. Though there was some pain as we look back on it, I can say, and maybe you can as well, that the Lord meant it for good. And on June 3rd, 2012, Grace United Family Church was established. And for the first four years of our existence, we rented space in the American Legion building on Bell Creek Road. Remember that brand new building? It was kind of cool, I thought. But every week, we came into the building and we faced the setup. I see some head nods. And the tear down. We had to stay late. We had to come in early. But at least we were able to put things into the closets. We didn't have to move them away, right? We didn't have to load up a trailer like we did when we were associated with Family Life Baptist. Well, then things took a marvelous turn for us in December 2016. We moved from the Legion building to this one, Historic Beulah Church. And our first service was our first Christmas Eve candlelight service on December 24th. It was a grand and glorious thing. And about 60 people showed up to worship the Lord with us on that night. And so whether it's the American Legion building or here at Historic Beulah Church, what has God been up to in our lives over the past nine years? Let me list some of the things that many of us have experienced. And doubtless, as we do, memories will flood your mind as they did mine when I was putting this together. Let's savor some of the moments. And for those of us who are really relatively new, rejoice with us as you experience with us how good God has been to us over the years. How many profound worship experiences have we had since we've been Grace United? You know, I think of one particular service when we were at the American Legion building. We took up part of that service to wash feet, including David Peterson's feet. 
you know, our friend in Bangladesh. And we did this as an act of showing Christ-like love and unity that the Lord has created among us. Or how about our first Easter sunrise service here at Beulah, overlooking the graveyard, right? And then we remember that there was an ordeal that was about ready to happen, and Brother Rusty was beginning his ordeal. We have many believers who follow the Lord in baptism since we've been grace united. Remember the days that we used a portable baptistry that looked like a coffin? And I, personally, I, I still think it's a great uh, symbol. You, know, you get at that thing, it looks like you're, you're, you're dead to the world. And what a great thing about dying to our old ways. So I think it's a, it's a great symbol there. And for those of us who were here, who can forget Brother Ted's baptism? along with Norma in our new hot tub baptistry. Now, Ted's baptism, as you know, was a fitting prelude for his own homegoing that happened just a few months after that. From practically the first day we moved into the building and even before, we had a holy tradition of praying in the new year. And over the years, prayer events have become a bit more regular. And now, as you know, we've got a regular time of sanctuary prayer here every Sunday morning. From 7.30 to 8, except for this morning. We were a little bit late. And then we also have on Tuesday evenings for an hour, we have our time of intercessory prayer for those, of, as we have des- described as the prodigals and the lost, and even for the state of our lost country as well. And over the past year and a half, we've been praying through the Psalms, you know, regularly and going through them. In fact, this Sunday or this Wednesday is going to be our last uh, our iteration in the Psalms. And I've said numerous times that praying through the Psalms is really a a highlight of my week. And don't you love our living classroom events? You know, I think about Seder. Seder is a very powerful time of seeing Christ in the Passover and tying that in to remembering our own deliverance, how the Lord has delivered us from sin as well. And let's not forget Sukkot. And uh, during that time, we have what's called a water libation ceremony to remind us of God's super abundant blessings. And of course, we continue to celebrate Christmas Eve with our candlelight service, complete with the time of remembering the festival of lights where the Lord declared himself to be the light of the world during the event, what we would call Hanukkah. And what began as a simple hymn sing the day after Thanksgiving has turned into a grand time of praise and worship to the Lord as we pull out all of the creative stops to give the Lord the honor due to Him as we prepare to enter the Christmas season. And regularly remembering our brothers and sisters who are persecuted as we prayed for our brothers and sisters in Morocco today. It's part of our DNA. And we pray for them again every week and we annually remember them by setting aside our observance of the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. Scripture tells us that we are to remember our brothers and sisters in chains who are in prison for their faith as though we were there with them. And how exciting and serious it is, though, to support the families and singles who are on the, sh- on the mission field around the world in places that are often hostile to the gospel. Now, what comes to our minds? You know, we think right away of Ryan and, and uh, the Life of Christ Christian Ministries in that world. You know, all the men that are there in that place, they're there because of their exercise of their self-will. And we know that Ryan, our brother Ryan, has 
has come to the Lord and he's beginning to share the Lord, beginning to share Christ with those around him in that very dangerous place called Sussex City. And, you know, we're praying for revival, aren't we? We're praying that God would pour out a revival in that place the likes no one has ever seen before. And remember the Amblers who are in a hostile situation and the Huffmeyers as well in Brazil. And remember Brazil, you know, Satanism is a spectator sport in that country. People watch them do their pagan rituals and it's like they applaud this. So that's a very dangerous place spiritually. And Megan, as we know, she's gearing up for another uh, place of ministry in Asia. And let's not forget Elijah, as we pray for today. He's in a very difficult world called the Marines. Anybody say a hoo for that, right? And, uh, you know, that really is, it, it, there's not a whole lot of room in there. You're either for or against the Lord in that place. And Mark and Miriam Severson, the, the navigator of local church ministries, Mark is my mentor, and he helps me to help us as we are becoming more effective in making discipleship relationships, which is really doing the only job the Lord has told his church to do, isn't it? He's told us to go and make disciples of all nations. And speaking of missions, who can forget the process and the result of sending two of our best and brightest on a work project to Kenya? The Lord taught all of us, didn't he? Many unforgettable lessons as we went through the paces to get Joshua and Gabriel there and back. And when they were there, you know, it was like we were there with them. And I can go on and on. You know, the East End Pregnancy Center with the baby bottle program, remember this? And then also Operation Christmas Child. And having us continue to count the Lord's blessings, to name them one by one. We could be here all day for this. But as good as those things I highlighted are, one of the most exciting things I think about Grace United is the ministry we have to one another. Family integrated is the term we have for it. You know, we do things together, don't we? As a family here at Grace United Family Church. The Lord has prayed. He prayed for his followers that his disciples, we would be unified. We would be one. And a few hours before he uttered that prayer for unity to his father, he told his disciples at their Seder, he says, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is his command to us as his people. And so living together in love and unity is what we're after, what we're all about. And I think of how much we have given over the years to different people in need. For example, we think about Chris and Rusty, you know, when they had their his ordeal and how much we were able to give and the privilege that we were able to do that. And then Sister Kathy, when she had her accident several years ago, what did we do? We pooled our resources together and she was able to purchase a car. And then after that came a time we gladly gave of ourselves to give her the transportation need that she had. For a year, we were able to do this. To God be the glory. And as we continue to think about the love and the unity culture that the Lord has been able to foster among all of us over the years, we can't leave out the youth, can we? For those who don't know, I've been working with Liam and also with Natalie now to make a transition from the youth group to a youth and young adult group. 
See, truly, no family integrated ministry is complete without them. And how much value have they added to Grace United over the years? Now, of course, they play a vital role in practically every corporate worship service that we have. Can I get an amen on that one? And who can forget their creating and even directing Christmas and Easter plays at times? And a highlight of our ministry year is Youth Sunday, isn't it? Last Sunday service, for me anyway, was a profound worship experience. In a moment, I want to mention something that was said during the message that Liam and, and Aiden had brought to us. That was a real challenge to me. And over the years, we've experienced the Lord not only stretch our faith in Him, but even to defy the way things are, quote, supposed to be when it comes to resources and survivability of a local church. Because as we know, a local church is a thing, it's, it's a living thing, but it's also a thing of organization, and it involves money and, and all those kinds of things. But let me uh, let you in on a little secret. Before we became Grace United, I was told that because of the small number of people that we had and the very limited amount of money resources that we had, that this church would not last as a church for any longer than two years. Now, we smile at that because we're past two years, aren't we? At least last time I checked. See, in accordance with all the studies on how to start and grow a church, and there are many of those studies, this person who told me this seemed to be justified in pronouncing our demise. Can't really blame him because he was only going by what he had learned. And those who do the studies, check this out, say that the minimum number of people needed to grow and sustain a church is 75 consistent attenders. 75. Now, look around us. I don't think we have 75. This is what's called, according to the church growth and church creation experts, as something called critical mass. Now, let me let you in on another little secret as well. According to the records, which I try to diligently keep up with, we have never achieved critical mass. We've never even had 75 people attend any one service even one time since we've been Grace United. And, and I will say, though, that we have gotten close to 75 one time. I think it was our second time that we were in a Christmas Eve candlelight service. I think we had like 70 then. But we've never, yeah, the, late, the number is ladies. Yes, thank you. Uh, but we've never had 75. But I'm happy to announce and to report that the attendance for 2021, the highest attended service that we had was last week, Youth Sunday, where we had 51 attend Grace United and worship with us. So that's a cool thing. And regarding finances, there was a time in our history, a couple of years ago, when we were getting a little bit low, right, Shirley? <laughs> Just a little bit low. But God, God prompted and his people gave. It's as simple, but as profound and amazing as that. And so far this year, we are doing great financially. I praise God for that. And we have all of our bills paid, and we even have a little bit left over. That's a great thing. And how we are even able to be here in this building, renting this building, as we have for the last several years. That is yet another amazing story of how God has worked at Grace United. 
He has abundantly supplied all of our needs and even given us some of our wants. Now, I marvel at what God is doing through us, with us, to us over the years. And my continual prayer for us is that we would live out what we believe the Lord has given us as Grace United as a mission statement. And the mission that we have is what? We know what this is upon the foundation of prayer. We exist to love God and to learn the Bible and to what? Care for people, the lost and the found. And let's not forget our three vital tasks as well. And what are they? Evangelizing the lost, discipling the saved, and living together in love and unity. This is what God has given us to do. This is what we believe that He has given us. And when it comes to evangelism, the Lord and the gospel has been shared here from this pulpit and over there at uh, the other building as well. And all throughout, you know, in our spheres of influence, we've taken the gospel to our friends and neighbors, haven't we? And even to some of our enemies. Regarding discipleship, we've been forming and maintaining discipleship relationships over the last several years. And again, love and unity is something that we've been experiencing in various degrees since day one of Grace United. So what has the Lord been doing? What has He been up to at Grace United over the last nine years? Well, the same thing He's been doing with every church of every size over the last 2,000 years and counting. And I, for one, praise the Lord for who He is and for the absolute privilege our King has given us to serve Him. And so now I want to turn a corner a little bit, and I want to sort of dovetail into what Aidan and Liam had told us last week when they brought to us a message about worship. You know, in Liam's part of the message, he said something that struck a chord with me. Worship is a direct command, as he was commenting on Deuteronomy 6. And Brother Liam further commented this. He said, if you want to follow me, this, as in worship, is how you will serve me. And for me, these words sort of encapsulate everything we've been about as Grace United since day one. Following the Lord, focused on worship, and serving Him. And so I want to take a couple minutes to kind of break this down a little bit. The first part of Liam's statement was, if you want to follow me. See, following Jesus is a choice, is it not? It's a choice that we make. And this is an echo of what the Lord told us in Luke 9.23. And he said to all, everybody, not just disciples who wanted to have a little bit of a deeper life with the Lord, but he said to all, he said this, if anyone would come after me, choose to come after me, let him, what? Deny himself, take up his cross, how often? Daily and follow me. But this begs the question, why? Why do we want to serve and follow the Lord? Now, we can think of some things that have gone through our minds. And just, Of course, we want to follow the Lord. But why? The Lord Jesus never forced anyone to follow him, did he? He never put a, a you know, they had guns back then. He never put a gun back to somebody's head and said, you follow me or else, right? Never did that. His was always an invitation. As Diedrich Bonhoeffer famously stated in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, 
He said this, when Christ calls a man, a woman, a young person, he bids them come and die. And so the question, why do you follow Jesus? See, Jesus did all kinds of good things in the days of his ministry, didn't he? This much is abundantly clear. He forgave sins. He healed many people. He had power over nature and over supernatural forces. He raised people from the dead. He hung out with the sinners. But his life was not free of conflict. Isn't that true? Because, you know, he said a lot of things that people did not like to hear. They didn't want to hear. He said such things as labeling the religious leaders as hypocrites, children of hell. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? For somebody who's kind of meek and mild and what we expect him to always obey the 11th commandment of being nice. Now we read those words and we say, you go, Jesus. Get those guys. Get those religious hypocrites. They deserve it. They're only putting their stuff out there because they want people to see how religious they really are. But lest we think that he only blasted those people. Let's take a listen to some of the things that Jesus said to the unwashed. You are evil. Repent or perish. You are of your father, the devil. Workers of lawlessness. Hypocrites. Condemned. Gentle Jesus said those things to the unwashed masses. I've often said that if I live back in the days of Jesus' ministry and I just wanted to hang around with somebody, it probably would not have been Jesus. See, Jesus has a way of exposing people's sin. And I didn't want to do that. I don't think I'd want to be around somebody who always pointed out my sin. But you. Again, when Rabbi Jesus told those around him what it took to follow him, he told all to deny themselves. He told them all to take upon their shoulders the common instrument of torture and death in that day, a cross, and to follow him. See, his challenge was truly a binary thing, wasn't it? See, Jesus said in order to follow him, they had to lose their lives. It was not a, a, a both and type thing where I can live my life and have a little Jesus in my life. It was always an either or thing. Either you follow Jesus or you don't. And that's really the, the bottom line, isn't it? Again, why do you follow Jesus? You know, the apostles of Jesus did not have a good life as we often envision what a good life entails. Did they? Every one of them experienced great suffering. And I'll, experience, I'll, I'll just kind of spare us all the, the, the fine details of how they suffered. And down through the ages, disciples of Jesus suffered as well. When was the last time you read the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs? As I mentioned, part of our DNA is to support our persecuted brothers and sisters in cultures and countries that are hostile to the gospel. And with all the pain and suffering that seems to naturally go along with following Jesus, why do you follow him? If you want to follow me, this, as in worship, is how you will serve me. 
See, what the Lord is talking about here is reality. And the short answer is choose. Choose you this day whom you will serve. See, we don't have a choice about the reality of serving, do we? Because we're going to serve somebody or someone. We're going to do that. We're hardwired to do this. All of us are going to serve. But all of us who have chosen to follow Jesus have, by definition, chosen to worship and to serve him alone. See, Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. And so what is the only appropriate response when the king of the universe, when the all-powerful Lord invites people who are vastly inferior to him to follow him? What's the only appropriate response? Is to worship? Is to serve? This is what it means to follow Jesus. We who have chosen to follow Jesus do not worship him primarily for personal benefits, though they are wonderful benefits, aren't they? Now I've heard it said, and maybe you have too, that the Lord's retirement plan is literally out of this world. But we who have chosen to follow the perfect, crucified, resurrected, ascended, and soon coming King of kings and Lord of lords, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, we do so because of who he is. See, there are millions of potential objects of worship, aren't there? And I think about how many people on the planet, about 8 billion, 7 billion, whatever. There's about 7 billion objects of worship there, right? How many people worship themselves? So one popular Christian song of the day, way back, contains these lyrics. So many roads to follow. He said there's one. So many make-believers. He said, I've come. Indeed, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, Paul tells us in Galatians 4.4. And as with any king, it is the king who sets the rules of engagement. And the king said, worship me, serve me. And Jesus gave us his rules of engagement, and we call it the Great Commission. And we reviewed it many times over the years, but I want us to review it again. But I want us to hear it as though we were experiencing it for the very first time. Okay, So try to get all the, all the superimposition and all the stuff you've overlaid on that, and as you've heard it over and over again, try to clear your mind of that, and let's listen to this again. Maybe for the first time. Christ's Great Commission has two parts. The first part is to proclaim the gospel where we persuade and we explain and we invite people to repent of their sin and to believe Christ. And part two is to make disciples, as in those who have repented and believed Christ, to help them to become more like Him. Christ's likeness is God's goal for all of us who follow the Lord. So here now, part one of the great commission that the Lord has given us, all of us who know Christ. He said it in Mark 16, 15, and he said, He, Jesus, said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And now part two, 
in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority, all authority, let me say it again, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to whom? To Jesus. Therefore, go. Because all authority has been given to me, therefore, go. I'm commanding you, he says. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus told us, in essence, if you want to follow me, this is how you will serve me. Evangelizing the lost and discipling the saved is right at the core of our followership of the king. And I'll never forget it. Easter Sunday at the American Legion. I gave an invitation for salvation. And you know how it goes, the way we work it, right? See, we, we don't use coercion. We don't sing just as I am 15 times to gain a little bit of a spiritual tension so people will come forward, right? We don't attempt to manipulate emotions. I simply ask a person if he or she wants to give his or her life to Jesus to simply stand right where he or she is. And by standing, he or she is telling all of us that they're turning their back on sin, repenting of their sin, and believing the gospel of Christ and are now wanting to follow the king. It was on that day that Brother Herbie stood. And on that Easter Sunday morning, he declared his allegiance to Christ as his Lord and his Savior. Herbie responded to the Great Commission, part one. And over the past several years, Brother Herbie, he's been following Jesus. And this is Great Commission, part two. As I said, he's, he and I have been meeting together. We've been sharing over lunch uh, just about every week with much of our time intentionally sharing spiritual specifics such as Scripture memory and review. And what the Lord's been teaching us in our reading of Scripture. We've been regularly writing down our thoughts and our prayers in our journals. And I've got to tell you, Herbie's reflections on Scripture have been gems, really powerful things. And so I've asked Brother Herbie to come and to share with us one of his journal entries. And so, brother, come, and we're going to hear you. I mean, wrote my papers for all of my classes through high school. I'm talking about papers that were wrote perfectly and stapled. And when I'd, when I'd turn them in, everybody else was handwritten, looked all sloppy. And I'm like, that's an A. That's an A. And she wrote all my papers. And um, one day the teacher said, uh, came and approached me and said, uh, I'm recommending you for an advanced writing class. <laughs> and, and so I said, well, thank you very much. I'll let my mom know, you know. So anyway, so writing, this is one of my entries, and it's uh, called Children of God. And this is from Romans, Romans 8, 14 to 17. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God these are the sons and daughters of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if we indeed if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. And I wrote, I believe that children of God are all the men and women who are committed to doing God's will and have accepted Jesus Christ into their lives as Lord and Savior. I personally accepted Jesus into my life and began to follow him faithfully during my struggle and recovery from drug addiction. I was baptized earlier with my entire family, but did not have my heart in the right place at the time. And after losing my father to cancer, following Jesus was the last thing I was prepared to do. Though I wish I had. <clears throat> Instead, I ran from God and was lost in anger and sin. What is amazing to me is that even though I was completely lost and, and a complete slave to my sin and drugs, God had a plan for me not to die or just overdose like so many around me. Instead, God called me for a purpose and gave me direction in my life. In Romans 8:28 to 30, the Bible says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. And I wrote, I know that I have been redeemed through Christ because of what he did on the cross. And I believe that we are all called to follow him. And it is our choice whether we listen to the call or choose to ignore it. I by no means feel that I am special. But what I do know is that when I ask God for help, he sent his son to deliver me from my sin, and his Holy Spirit has convicted me to follow him ever since. <clears throat> I have given up living selfishly for my own pleasure and pursuits and have decided to follow Jesus in a life of sacrifice and salvation. Sacrifice because it is not easy to be a follower of Jesus, but Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for my salvation and because of this, I know I'll have eternal life with Christ in heaven. The Bible tells us that the sacrifices we make here on earth and even all the pain and suffering that we endure will pale in comparison to the glory of God and what is in store for us in heaven. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And I, I continue to write, I know that even, even though I've suffered greatly throughout my life, I've also been blessed beyond belief throughout my life as well. I know that when my time is up, I will have in store for me the crown of righteousness, just like my father before me, who fought the good fight and kept the faith. That's written on my dad's uh, mausoleum. Okay, so, as a child of God, how should I live? Well, for me... I know that I must work every single day on being better. I must work every single day on reading scripture, writing journal entries, <clears throat> memorizing scripture, and trying each and every day to be more like Jesus. I do not do these things so I can brag about them or boast, as the Bible says. Instead, I do these things so I may live a better life and so that maybe one day I can share the gospel and help someone in need and so that my, <clears throat> my family can see a change in me, a change that I could not have made on my own, a change that keeps me from following my sinful nature and instead focuses me on what is right and good. 
I've been set apart for this. Being a child of God does not mean that we do things right all the time. As for me, I know I fall short of God's glory every single day, and that's okay. I change, and the change I notice the most is when I do something that is not right, I immediately ask for forgiveness through prayer and work on fixing the thing that was wrong. Whether it be losing my temper or cursing or whatever the issue, I hold myself accountable and ask God for help in all that I do. I am courageous in the face of challenging situations because God is with me. I do not give up even though I'm tempted to. When I, when I fall, I repent and get back up again. I spend time reading the, God's word, praying and standing strong in my faith because I believe in Jesus and the grace that he made available to all of us. I know that a hitting work has taken place in my life, and I believe I overcame drug addiction where others failed because of God's power that abides, abides in me through Christ. In, in Romans 8:37 to 39, the Bible says, "But in all these things we are overwhelmingly in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the Bible, and I wrote, the Bible tells us that we are overwhelming, we, we overwhelmingly conquer with Christ, which means that we do not just simply become victorious over our adversaries, but that we are overwhelmingly victorious over our adversaries and Satan which is our biggest adversary will constantly try to send all kinds of life defeating joy stealing self-doubting attacks to threaten our well-being and test our faith as God's children but no attempt of the enemy can steal the loving care of God from our lives and that is what makes us more than conquerors through Christ who loves us being a follower of Christ does not make life easy but it means we face the trials of life with the certainty that we are not alone. We have a mighty Father who fights for us. We approach the darkest valleys with confidence, knowing that nothing can happen to us that is not permitted by our loving Father for our own good. We have God's promise of eternal life and the presence of his Holy Spirit every day until we see him face to face. I do not fear death, nor do I fear evil. The Bible tells us over and over that we are not to fear. In Psalms 23:4, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So, as children of God, we are to be thoughtful and consider what is pleasing to God. We are to home, hold firm to God's word and his promises, which will increase our faith and hope. We are to trust in God with all of our hearts and minds and to seek God's kingdom first above all else. We honor and praise God in our hearts because it is he who is accomplishing his amazing work in us. This is what makes us God's chosen ones. And in 1 Peter 2.9, the Bible says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How can you follow that? <laughs> My brother, I have every confidence in you that the Lord is not only going to continue to speak to you through his word, 
that your family is going to continue to get stronger in him and in his ways as you continue to introduce his ways into your family life. And that he's also preparing you to live out what Paul told his mentee, Timothy, regarding the Great Commission. In 2 Timothy 2.2, the last letter that Paul would ever write, he revealed to Timothy the only way to fulfill the Great Commission on a worldwide scale. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust these two faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Four spiritual generations in Paul's family tree. There's Paul, Timothy, faithful men, and others. To fulfill the Great Commission, it will take every follower of Christ, every follower of Christ, to entrust the things of God to others. The Numbers Geeks tells us that if each of us take just one person and disciple that one person, one person a year, then within 40 years around there, the entire planet of over 9 billion people will have been evangelized and discipled. Think about that. It doesn't take massive crusades. It doesn't take mega churches. It takes one person to disciple another person one at a time. Take them a year. And if we all do that, 9 billion will be evangelized and discipled. 40 years. It's my prayer that all of us who call Grace United their home will wholeheartedly commit to and actually do what the Lord Jesus has told all who follow him to do is to fulfill the Great Commission. And so today with Grace United celebrating its ninth anniversary, if you have not done so, I challenge you to take up that challenge. If you're a follower of Jesus, Worship Him by serving Him. And let's serve Him by loyally engaging the Great Commission, evangelizing the lost and discipling the saved. And let's not forget the last part, living together in love and unity. And when it's all said and done, may there be many in our spiritual family tree around the throne of God and around the Lamb saying with loud voices of praise, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every day on this side of eternity and for the rest of our days, as the Lord gives us opportunities, may we take advantage of them to fulfill the great commission, evangelizing the lost, discipling the saved, living together in love and unity. Jesus told us, in essence, if you want to follow me, this is how you will serve me. And may we all who faithfully know the Lord, faithfully follow and worship and serve the Lord for as many days and years as the Lord allows Grace United to remain as a local church fellowship. Let's pray.
Our God and Father, we thank you so much for many, many bounding blessings to us. Too many to count. We bask in your salvation, Father, that you've given us through your Son. The perfect Son of God, the Lamb of God who lived a perfect life and was qualified to hang on the cross for our sins. And Lord Jesus, as you were hanging there, all of our sin was placed upon you. And you cried out, it's finished. Paid in full. Our sin debt is paid in full. We no longer have to bear it. You called us, Lord, to repent. You call us to turn from our ways and turn to you. To believe this. To believe the fact that can't be changed. It's historical fact. Lord Jesus, there was a time in history when you died on the cross. And there was a time in history when you rose again from the dead. You called us to believe you. You called us to believe this. You called us to go from ourselves and to embrace you and the gospel. And then to commit ourselves loyally, not perfectly, loyally to you. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. We thank you for the commission you've given us as well to go and proclaim the gospel, to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching all to obey you as we are obeying you. So, Lord, I thank you for Grace United. I thank you for nine years of ministry. I thank you, Lord, for the fact that you have kept us alive, as it were, in this local church. I pray, Lord, for many more years as we are faithful to follow you. Help us, Lord Jesus, to truly fulfill the mission that you have in us. And now, Father, I thank you for this time that we can give. And Lord, I pray that as we do give, that you help us to give as a, as a just a token, just a, an overwhelming token of, of our gratitude and love for you. And may you take these monies, Lord, help us to be good stewards of what you have given us and what goes into the offering basket. I pray also, Lord, that you help us to sing, because, Lord, even now there are places in our country that can't sing to you because of laws, because of rules. And because of watered-down pastors, I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to take advantage of the, the opportunities that you've given us. And we'll thank you for these things. In Jesus' holy name.